Welcome to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. This is an education-based show focusing on tech careers and how to incorporate the important aspects of technology in your current work. Each show brings you closer to tech success. Now, here's your host, Dr. Sharon Jones. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones is a show in which we will dig in to learning more about how we can leverage your skill set and find your niche in the world of technology. I am Dr. Sharon Jones, and I am thrilled to be here with you to really start talking about what it means to understand and use technology. As we go through this show and we're live with you every week, we will dig into really leveraging your skill set to find your spot in the world of technology. I want to make sure that we provide action-based tips and items that you can use to go out and truly leverage what you are great at and find your spot in this great big world that we call technology. It used to be that technology was something that we used, you know, sometimes, but now it is an integral part to everything that we do. And given all the time we spend with our gadgets and apps, it's essential for us to understand the principles and begin to determine where we fit personally into this entire world of technology. We all have a role and we must move past the perceptions and uncover the true tech power that benefits us, our businesses, and our careers. So let's bite in. I want to start with a little bit of information about who am I? So as you heard in the intro, my name is Dr. Sharon Jones, or AKA Sharon, and I, for many, many years growing up, I'm an 80s baby. And when I grew up in the 80s, I loved music. And I always thought that I actually was going to be a radio DJ. And I tell this story um, to people on a regular basis when I'm, I'm talking a bit about my history into becoming a technologist. But growing up, I had a dual cassette player. And I would have it on my dresser. And I would record a show in the evening hours, and I was DJ Sharky Sharon. And let me tell you, I was really good as DJ Sharky Sharon. I had a plug-in microphone, and I would listen to the DJ. I would ramp up, and I would say my intro. I'd hit record, and I would record music to create my own coming to you in the nighttime hour DJ Sharky Sharon show. And man, I'll tell you, it was a lot of fun. And I would do this all the time. I mean, I have tons and tons of tapes of how I explored being DJ Sharky Sharon. Then I would use my skill set, even in my high school days, I would do um, some work in my theater class where I would do some recordings with radio or I would work um, doing voiceovers. And at the time, I did not realize how much I was leveraging technology. It was not as prominent, of course, in the 80s and 90s. I mean, we didn't even get our first computer at my house until I, um, let's see, I was about 16 years old. So 
And the internet, of course, was brand new. We had AOL and it was, you know, and we got the computer as a hand-me-down so that I could complete my senior exit project. And I remember so distinctly sitting there doing my pecking typing because I had not taken a typing class. I didn't have that exposure or that ability to... Um, have access because, of course, still in the late 80s and 90s, personal computers were popular, but they weren't mainstream. So we had a hand-me-down computer. I was in there doing my double recordings. However, I was finding my way through what it meant to actually work with technology. But I went on into my college years, and I really thought that I was going to be on the radio. And so this opportunity to be with you guys on this show here with Voice America is truly a dream come true. It's a a big full circle for me. But I remember interning when I was in college at several of the radio stations and I found that it wasn't actually the perfect niche for me. There was actually at that point in the 90s, the late 90s, a lot of technology that was being used to man the radio stations. Mathematically, a radio station has a lot of timing and um, timing is really the key to the radio station and how in which the DJ is on, the music is playing, and the sponsorships. And I liked all of that, but it wasn't actually the full niche that I thought was going to be where I fit. And so then I began to venture, as I was finishing up my uh, four-year degree, I realized that one of the things that I kept going back and forth to was teaching. However, I knew that I was not your regular core teacher, and I don't, regular is probably not exactly the right word to say either, but I was not a core teacher. I wasn't going to be per se math, science, or social studies. Where I found my niche was that I kept playing around with different things with a little bit of technology because at this point I had discovered email and all the powers of Microsoft and had begun to play around with your um, attachable uh, video camera that, you know, the webcam that became so popular there at the very beginning of 2000, 2001. And so I ventured into earning my master's in education. And where I, that's really where I began to start to navigate this career that I have cultivated through technology. But the reason why I'm telling this long, drawn-out story is to really bring some perspective to what we're going to be digging into and biting into in this show, and that is leveraging your skill set. So when I went into technology or began my master's degree and realized that I was going to be earning a degree in business and information technology. Remember, I didn't have this great huge background in tech. I had never even taken a keyboarding class. I was still pecking on the keyboard. But I did have this skill set of radio and music and recording and understanding the rhythms and the beats of what it meant to actually create a radio show with music. And I also had this tenacity because I knew that the first time I'd ever heard of PowerPoint was when I went to college and I was sitting in one of my classes and the professor said, so you'll need to do your presentation in PowerPoint. And I remember turning to the person next to me saying, a what? 
what is a PowerPoint? Because again, I had not had exposure. So, but what I did was I thought, okay, well, let's figure out what this means. And I began to tackle the fact that I can problem solve pretty well. And that I knew I wasn't going to, I had to learn what it was. So I had to take it one step at a time. So I didn't go in and just completely dive into learning PowerPoint. I opened it up and did one or two slides and then I would stop. And then I go back and try to figure out, okay, how do I make these slides prettier? And it was little steps, little steps at a time. So when I went into working on my teaching degree, I had to learn a lot of technology because I went to a school that was actually very progressive at the time, had a lot of online learning and was using technology in a very different way. And so I had to learn it, and I, but I had to do it one step at a time. I remember when the webcam first came on, I jumped up and down. And then I had to take a class called visualbasic.net because I had decided to do business and information technology. And because of that, that meant I had to take at least one programming class. Well, I had begun to understand the software piece of the computer and understand the Microsoft platform, um, doing some things with WordPerfect and, and, and a variety of other smaller applications that were on the computer at that time. But I had not dug into actually understanding how to program a computer. And so when I took the class, it was a little overwhelming because I wasn't sure what is visualbasic.net. And let me tell you, it's still not my favorite language in the whole world, but it was a really great first programming language to learn because it teaches you the basics of syntax. And also there's a visual component. And as we all know, visual pieces really help us drive what what we like and see. I, I'm a visual learner too. So for me, that was, that was a really great thing. So visualbasic.net is a Microsoft product. So on the back end, you can do your programming. And on the front end, you're able to design. So you have what's called a, a graphical user interface, which is what we use every day on our computers um, now. But you were able to create this GUI. And on that GUI, I could drag and drop different options that I wanted to create. And then when I clicked on one of those options, it would take me directly to the coding window where I could tell that object what to do. So what I began to realize as I was learning this programming language was that I could design what I wanted my interface to look like, choose the object that I wanted to do something, and then I would create the programming that went with it. Now, it did take a little time, and I will say that the first project I had to do was turn a light bulb on and off, and in thinking back through that, I was like, holy moly, all right, I got to turn this light bulb, it, and all, in real life, I just go to the switch. On the computer, I had to be very precise and say, I want it to turn on when you click and turn off when you click on when you don't click or turn it on when you click turn it off when you click the other button so i actually ended up having two buttons one to click on one to click off but i can tell you as soon as i figured out how to turn that light bulb on and off i was screaming and jumping up and down but to keep going with the light bulb analogy something clicked in my brain and i realized at that moment that once i understood the basics of how to maneuver this language, I could turn anything off and on. 
I could figure out how to take that code and apply it to a different object. And I use this uh, a lot when I'm, when I'm teaching, but one thing I will say is that there's this magical thing out there um, in computers and it's called copy and paste. And I use that a lot, that once I create something, I will duplicate what I've done and use it and just change out what the new code needs to be. So if it's not a light bulb, but instead um, maybe it's, it's turning on an oven on and off or a timer on and off is probably a better, not oven, not as much the oven. I, well, actually, yes, we do have ovens that turn on and off now with our internet of things. But in this particular instance, it was more like turning a timer on and off, maybe turning. I also had things where the light, the, it would change colors for different pieces. But where I want you to start thinking about this is, is my journey is, is interesting because I did not start off with technology in my back pocket. And most of us that are in our uh, mid-careers, we did not either. And the other piece to think about is, is even during this time, so I went to college in 1998 and spent the better part of the late 1990s into the 2000s working in on my education. So I have a master's and I started teaching in a high school and then per, later pursued my doctoral degree. And during that time, there were a lot of changes in technology. And because we spent many, many years being pretty attached to Microsoft and, you know, having laptops that came along, having um, access to different applications that came with a computer. But suddenly, in about 2008, there was some big changes that started happening. We started seeing more mobile options. You started getting your flip phones or your slider phones. And I can remember in 2008, I spent the better part of my career as a computer science educator. And I was teaching a group of high school students and the there was an expose that came out about the iPad in 2008 or so, 2009. And I show that to my students, and they were like, what is that for? That's just silliness. Why would we need that? We've got this desktop in front of us. And now, if you can imagine, we could not even think without having uh, some kind of mobile device, iPad, or our phones. And let me talk a little bit about the phone, too. The, the big, biggest pivotal moment that I can put to date is when the iPod came out with Apple, it really began to change how we interacted with technology. Now, I know that we had a Walkman, and for many, many years, we some of us had CD Walkmans, and then you had um, a variety of different portable devices, but you still had to have some kind of cassette or CD to put in it, so it was two, a, a two-touch system. With the iPod, it began to pivot the way in which we interacted with technology, and it was a one-touch stop. So you connect it, you were able to download music, and then it was all in one place. Instead of having to come up with a mixtape or one CD, you then could create your own using technology and that cloud-based application. That was a really big change. So... Thinking through this, the reason why I'm bringing this up again is that there was just quite a big, we hummed along for many years with 
you know, things progressing. You had updates in Microsoft. You may have updates in your data analytics software. You may, the internet came out and you could research things. But even at that time, Google was not a super powerhouse as it is now. I mean, now it's a noun. You say, I'm going to go Google um, or a verb, excuse me. I'm not a noun, but I'm going to go verb. I'm going to go Google or Google it, which, and you know, that was not a part of our vernacular at that point. And as a professional, you could still be okay with not having to dig in too deep to certain technologies because it wasn't progressing as fast. When we saw a pivotal change and all of a sudden things became very much mobile, meaning that we really started having technology at our fingertips, is when you see that complete that change and how technology began to drive the way we do business. So for me, the pivotal moment is, and this may be different for you, but what I noticed very distinctly in my educational piece was the change of the flipped phone to the slider phone to the iPod to the iPad becoming a mainstay in our work to the smartphone. Now, the smartphone, of course, is a derivative of all the other phones coming along. But I find that that was really, really um, a big change, too, in how we communicate it. Text messaging. That would also be a key um, moment, and we can start thinking about text messaging because prior to us being able to text message with one another, we did have these chat rooms on AOL, and we were able to communicate on the computer, but not as instantaneously. So think about those pieces. Where were you when all of these things began to start happening? Where did you sit on the technology spectrum? Did it, were you worried about it? For me, for many years, I was always afraid I was going to break the computer. So, and, and true to form, in the very beginning, if you did do something, it could be that you could fry the whole computer. So I can remember sitting there working on my, <laughs> on my um, senior exit program and thinking, holy moly, I better be very, I got to save all the time. Gracious, you do know this is that, and this is one thing that's changed so dramatically with being able to use so many of our cloud-based applications as you don't have to save all the time. But the, I would save constantly and I would, you know, I'd have my folder set up and all this good stuff, but I was always a little worrisome that if I went somewhere on the internet or went to a different spot on the computer, if I didn't update that I could potentially cause the computer to, to just to shut down. But so think about that because for me that that was a that was a big piece of my worry about technology. Now also at the time when I was younger I didn't think that I didn't perceive it to be something that would be really useful to what I love. Now I, I love the radio piece, but what I saw to be useful for that was my dual cassette player. Now think about that now. And the big change of when the iPod came out and how that completely obliterated the fact that you needed necessarily a, well, you still needed some recording device, but you had more options than just using a dual cassette player. You could begin to really start recording on your computer. You could download from your computer to your iPod, which that was life-changing. So ponder a little bit about that. 
When was it that you began to see the big pivotal change in technology and how it began to affect where you sit in business? That is something that you can begin to hang your hat on in terms of where is it at the core that you began to think, hmm, do I perceive this technology as something useful or do I perceive it as something easy to use? At the core, when we start thinking about skill set, about pieces that make us tick about learning something new, showing interest. There are two underscoring pieces that influence the way in which we think about learning something new. And we do this regularly. We just do it very quickly. And it's something called perceived ease of use or perceived usefulness. So if we perceive something easy to use, we have a better inclination to learn. If we perceive it to be useful, then we also have a better inclination to learn. If both of those are relevant, then we will dive in and start learning. If only one of them is relevant, we have more hesitation. So think about this in terms of software applications, it could be programming, it could be um, pieces that have become to be a part of what you do in your everyday life. So for a long time, I did not perceive the iPad to be useful. So I did not actually engage in using it. It took a little bit more time in research for it to be for me to see how it would work that I began to see it as a useful piece for me in education. I also took a while to actually come over and start using the smartphone as a way to use to teach in my classroom. At first, I perceived it to be a nuisance. Now, I'm not saying that it's not a nuisance. There's lots of things that we could talk about how we get distracted by our smartphones. But I also saw that it had a power that we could use in in terms of helping us to do better or, or use it for educational purposes in the classroom. There was also a part of me for a really long time that took a really a while to to become a master on Microsoft, I did not perceive that even the access database for a long time was useful or easy to use. Really, that was more the component for me. There are pieces of software that we have um, on the computer, Google, Microsoft, um, those are the two big players, of course, Uh, Cisco, there is Linux, there is lots of different pieces that you could put into this pie. But for a while, I didn't see some of those as easy to use. And so I just didn't learn them. Excel would probably be the first one that took me a while to get over the hump because Excel was big and there was, there was things to it that I didn't know whether I really wanted to dig in. So processing that piece will maybe help you understand 
why it may be that you haven't dug into learning a new piece of software or <laughs> on the smartphone figured out the 943 apps that you can download to use. Now, that part has changed quite a bit because <laughs> over time, the, the way in which we interact with our applications on our phone has tremendously changed. And that's partially because of this concept of perceived ease of use and perceived usefulness. When a designer or a programmer is developing a new application or software or building a new uh, gadget, that is key in the back of their mind. Will people use it? And also thinking, how will they use it? That's one thing I think that's been interesting over time is how we have begun to interact with the different pieces of technology and how those pieces are different over time of how we've interacted. I mean, for many years, I still had a separate video camera that I would use. It was a small little, it was called a flip cam. And I would record all of my videos on that. And then it had a USB plug that I would plug into my computer. It wasn't until probably within the past, I don't know, maybe seven years or so, or so. But even at that, let me say, maybe not until I got the more advanced iPhone that I started doing video. And that came because of lots of pro uh, progression in the way in which we could capture video on our phones. So what have you perceived to be not useful or not easy to use? And so it prohibited you a little bit from digging in and learning that tech. Think about that a little bit. When we come back from break, we're going to start having the conversation around, well, where do you fit in? Where can you leverage your skill set to help you overcome some of that perceived ease of use and perceived usefulness blockage? And that's not the only reason why we don't use a piece of technology. There's, there's a myriad of other, other reasons. But often, that's the first step. If we have an instantaneous reaction to something that's happening, it's because of our perception of what we think or don't think. But after break, we're going to dig in just a little bit to the four buckets that encompass this world of technology and where you may be able to find your little spot and begin to master that. Because there's an important piece that sometimes is forgotten, and that is mastering content and how you can leverage that mastery into your work. That is really where I've been able to find my, my love is I ended up over all these years of work finding that data and numbers was where I fit in. But I have a little bit of trial and error figuring it out, but I finally found my niche and I found that I liked logic and sequence and I also liked numbers. So programming and learning through data was something that really worked. So after the break, stay with us. We're going to come back and we're going to find your tech genius. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. 
from face-to-face training to blended training techniques, the DOT Consulting delivers distinct advantage for organizations looking to grow. We help you invest in technology knowledge through training, experimental learning, and community connections. Employees create an overall collective sharpness, savviness, and greater productivity using technology as a tool, thus increasing the technological speed and quality of the expertise in your organization. The DOT Consulting, a new level of tech savvy. Visit the dotconsulting.co. The world needs more women with tech skills. At the Dottie Rose Foundation, we encourage, support, and educate girls who have an interest in technology and want to learn how it can be used to enhance their learning and future careers. Our camps demonstrate that most future career paths will benefit from developing a wide range of increasingly important technology and software skills. We accomplish this through mastering computational thinking, boosting self-confidence, and creating new possibilities for each girl. Visit DottieRoseFoundation.org. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. You are listening to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. We invite you to connect with the show today by calling in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Sharon at the.consulting.co. Now, back to Coding the Future. Welcome back. I'm glad that you're still here with us. We are going to dive in now to talking about finding your tech genius. I've shared a little bit of information about who I am and about the role that this show is going to play over the next uh, many episodes and really digging in and finding and leveraging your skill set in this world of technology. We're going to have many wonderful guests that will come on and share their expertise This episode, I wanted to spend a little bit of time so you could get to know who I am and what my background is because I'm not a perfect technologist, but I have worked diligently over the past 15 years of my career or 15 plus careers of uh, years of my career to find my area of where I really soar and leverage technology to move each each few years forward in my career. I spent the better part of my 20s and 30s um, in K-12 education teaching. When I completed my doctorate, I moved into higher education at the community college level, teaching adults how to actually do this same piece. We would teach a programming language but I or a concept, and then we would figure out how to find their spot Um, using that programming language. So I did a lot with data analytics, which I mentioned before the break was where I found my spot. I found that I really enjoyed numbers and logic and sequence and making a list and, and using that data to drive decisions. Well, data is a core piece of everything that we do, everything that we do in business. And data is actually at the core of technology and this discipline we call computer science, which computer science is really where I have been the past few, uh, you know, 
almost 20 years in education and teaching is working to break down those barriers of the perceived um, use that computer science is really difficult or hard. And I'm not saying there's not elements of computer science or technology that are not hard, but there are such amazing things that you can do in this field that you just have to figure out where you fit. So we're going to talk a little bit about the four buckets and, and how I break down this concept of what it means to find your tech genius. So there's four buckets that I identify. So if you can envision, think about four pails, little metal pails um, that you put water in. And the first one is programming. So I talked a little bit about my journey with learning how to code or, or program a computer by using visualbasic.net. And that was many years ago. And then that led me into learning other languages like HTML. Um, I learned Python. I learned how to start to code in what we call SQL, which is a Microsoft product, and SAS. SAS actually became... Uh, my core programming language, and they're a data analytics company. And, and then I really mastered Excel by finding that I really love to figure out the why behind the numbers. So that was programming. There is a digital bucket. Now, that digital bucket is really important. So if you can remember, I talked a little bit about that perceived ease of use. Well, the digital bucket of computer science is so core because that's the visual piece. And Part of getting over that hump of perceiving something easy to use is really creating a really great visual GUI or user design that people will find very much engaging. The third bucket is data. And data, as I mentioned, is the core of all things technology, all things computer science. Data is what drives just about everything we do in the digital world because you, you've heard many, many conversations about data privacy and cybersecurity because people are, companies want data in order to help make decisions and be able to reach customers. I mean, it's at the core really what drives everything that we do with business. And it's been that way for years and years and years. It's just now we have a much more accessible um, outlet for getting data. And the fourth bucket is infrastructure. And infrastructure is all the pieces that make up the gadgets and gadgets of technology. The actual computer, the actual smartphone, um, the, any kind of your breadboards or your Raspberry Pis or any of those gadgets. Those, that's, the, that's the fourth bucket. Now, I'm telling you these buckets so that it helps begin to identify some sections of what make up the world of technology. Now, this also means that it, as a human, we don't necessarily fit just into one bucket, but it can be that one of those buckets ignites your interest more than another. I fall into two buckets, actually really three buckets. I do a little bit, I dabble in digital design or digital pieces because I do like video and I still love radio and voice. I love lot to do with creating audio. And so I fall a little bit in all in, in, in programming data and digital, but my core is really in programming and then data complements it. So you can kind of think of this like a color wheel where you have your primary colors and then the secondary colors that complement what you do. So 
let's talk a little bit about how these buckets break down, all right? The first one is logic and sequence. Logic and sequence is the core of the programming bucket because remember, a computer or an inanimate object does not have a brain. It doesn't have a brain like you and I have as humans. So we have to be very explicit in telling the computer what we want it to do. So we have to take what's in our brain and put it on, on a program to tell the computer what to do. And in doing that, there's a lot of logic and sequence. If I do this, then. If I do this, then. And that's what we call a conditional statement. And you, we do this every day. You know, if I get up at 6 o'clock, then I'll have a cup of coffee. Else, I won't. If I get home at 5 o'clock, then I'll cook dinner. Else, we'll get takeout. Those are conditional statements. And we do this all the time. And really what we want to do is take that logic and put it on the computer so that it helps us be able to do things easier. That's the other thing that I didn't mention before is that really at the core, the whole purpose behind the technology is to make our lives easier, right? I mean, I know for me personally, I love to cook, but man, thinking of a recipe is non-delightful. So there's great apps out there that help me figure out how to cook. Okay. I, I digress. So we have programming. The next bucket is digital. And of course, digital is all those things that are visual, the aesthetics, but it's also the writing, photography, painting, speaking, storytelling. How do we create that visual and that experience that we would normally get face to face, but we're doing it in a digital capacity? But this would entail things like designing the applications, designing the software, uh, software, excuse me, writing the content that's going to go into the software package, writing, um, creating the imagery that's going to be seen. That could be social media, that could be advertising, marketing, etc. All of that is digital in the world of technology. The next one would be Numbers. Now, numbers, of course, you can probably already guess that, is your data bucket. And the data bucket is where the numbers sit. Do you like figuring out how to problem solve with numbers? And it doesn't have to be that you have to create the next um, proof. It could be that you just like figuring out balance sheets. I loved accounting. I didn't know that I loved accounting until I went and did, um, I was working on my master's, and that was one of the classes we were asked to take. And accounting was so exhilarating because things had to match. And as I mentioned to you, logic and sequence is something I like. So I liked having that it, it had to equal out on either side. And then the last bucket is your infrastructure. And that's all around tinkering, building, troubleshooting, etc. So let's take just a second. And I'm going to dig in to these very quickly, I don't, I don't want to drone it out to or drag it out too much, but programming, logic and sequence, here are the core pieces of that. Do you like to organize, create plans, list making, establishing order and, priorities, uh, and priorities? That is logic and sequence. I am the best list maker in the world. I love a good list and I feel great in checking off that list. So programming was a good fit for me. Now, I'm not saying that it's not frustrating. 
But learning how to program and organize and sequence in my brain what I wanted this application to do was really exciting. It also, remember, because the computer doesn't have the brain, we get to tell it. So there was a lot of feeling very, having some, some power in, some, in a way in being able to work and manipulate the way in which I wanted this application or Sprite, and I say Sprite in terms of creating an online game or um, the image of a, a character to do something for software application. So logic and sequence, if you're good at that, you know what? Let me also say this. If you like music and you're a musician or an artist, you are actually a really good programmer because if you're like music and as I said to you before, I'm not necessarily a musician, but I loved all the things I had to do with radio. Reading a piece of music and understanding the mathematics that go behind creating a good song, the frequencies, the rhythm, the way in which your um, tone works, creating the different chords. If you do that well, you are likely to be a very good programmer because learning to play music is just like learning to program. Also, if you find yourself being able to adapt really well to multiple speaking languages, so if you speak Spanish, English, French, you also would be very good in programming because once you learn the basics, you can learn any programming language. And that's much what it's like in learning to play an instrument or learning to speak a language. Okay, digital. Digital, I mentioned this before. If you find yourself loving writing, photography, painting, if you like speaking, if you like design, if you like storytelling, if you do anything around the visual component, if even you are someone who works in the field of psychology, that digital bucket would be huge because as I mentioned to you, most of the time when we're thinking about learning something new, we immediately put our perceptions on it. We have a perceived ease of use, a perceived usefulness. And as we're doing that, it's our brain all usually playing tricks on us on certain pieces. And so if you're in that field of psychology, there's a huge role in technology in terms of figuring out how people interact and use different pieces of software, hardware, etc. Numbers. This is the data bucket. Remember I mentioned that data is a part of everything. But so likely you already have somewhere you have done work with budgets, with numbers. I mean, that's just kind of the way it is in terms of business. But if someone, if you, there's some roles out there in the world called data science or data analyst or um, a marketing specialist or a marketing, marketing analyst or a business analyst or it could be a director of business development or it could be a project manager or it could be a variety of different ways in which companies identify these roles. But data, if you like calculations, budgets, checking statements, if you're interested in how many clicks have come onto your social media, if you're interested in seeing how people opened up an email, if you are interested in 
how many people came to an event, the timing of that event, pulling in that information, asking people people's reflections. All of those things are in the data category. This is a really good field for a lot of academics, teachers in particular. We collect a lot of data. So you likely have had a lot of experience that you didn't even realize. And thinking about if you like that and you've done a little bit of work, then learning a new piece of technology to help you leverage that won't be as hard as you think because you've already done most of it. So you can pick up some of the pieces that you've done over the years and apply it. The last one is infrastructure. And this one is for those of you that really enjoy tinkering. Tinkering, building, troubleshooting, taking things apart and putting them back together. Those are my tinkerers. Those are people that like to build that hardware piece, that hardware piece of technology and putting uh, a water sensor attached to a, you know, a Raspberry Pi, someone who, when they were younger, maybe took apart a computer and put it back together. Someone who likes to build with Legos or build with blocks. Um, many of those, uh, if that's something that's, uh, of a, that you like to do, then infrastructure may be a really cool place for you to be. And really what that means is building and innovating with for new technology and hardware that is. I mean, you think if you're the type of person that like when you get on Amazon, you go directly to all the new tech gadgets, <laughs> that's likely something that uh, that tinkering piece would be important to you. Testing. This would, um, there's an entire field in technology called quality uh, and assurance and Q&A and testers that test gadgets, software, um, all of those things that come out, that's an entire field. And that may be something that is of interest to you if you're really a, a big tinkerer in, how, in, in moving around with that. So of these four buckets, did you find a spot for yourself in your brain? Or maybe none of them were at the core, your primary piece, but a little bit of one or two or three of them made sense. And that's okay. That's not that these buckets are not the definitive end all be all, but they're a place to start for you to find where your tech genius lies. It took me a little bit for me to figure out that my tech genius was in the field of data and programming. It took me a while to realize that I wasn't an expert in all things Canva and all things video. And so I had to back away from that and I began to master in my skill set because I found myself really going back and forth to the numbers and understanding that that power of data allowed for me to make decisions for my class, for businesses, and teaching. It resonated with the students that came through my class because they could find whatever field they were in, finance, energy, food, music, education, art, wherever they fit, that there was a data element in how they went about doing their work. If you love math, if you love science, science, if you're a science person, infrastructure is amazing because you can tinker around and come up with all kinds of things. You can explode and not explode in infrastructure. Really, in all of them, you can do that. But in particular, hands-on, if you're a mathematics person, programming and data is beautiful for you. 
psychology, social studies, and, and math. Math is a big part of digital as well because there is the way in which our mind interacts with visual components, there is a mathematical piece to that. So here's my advice as we're going through. Take it or leave it. But I think it's pretty good advice. Um, as we, as I invite you to join us as we take this journey on coding the future. And when I say coding the future, it's a double, it's a double piece to that. Coding the future means helping to plan out what it's going to look like for your career. The past few months have been, quite frankly, a roller coaster. Our entire worlds have been turned upside down and around and back again. And moving forward, working in the world of technology, digital interaction, digital work is going to be a core at what we do. So as professionals, the best way that we can move ourselves forwards in our, in our career is to begin to find where we fit in this world of technology. It's not going to be perfect, and it's probably going to change. As it, you know, it, it may not be the same piece in another year, but how can we take our passion or our skill set and start with that? If you love to draw, if you love music, if you love to cook, if you like math, if you like to problem solve, think about those pieces and where could you use that in this world or this discipline of technology? It is not going anywhere, so it is upon us to make sure we find our spot so that we can beat to the rhythm of the technological revolution. How do we beat? How do we make our own space in this very fast-paced, moving industry. Research and define the area of interest that you like. If it is one of those buckets, start digging into what does that mean? What, it, what would it look like to be in the world of data? What would it look like to be in the world of digital? And maybe you already are. How do you help refine that so you really begin to hone in on what it is you love to do? It is imperative that we find work that we love. It just makes life so much more exciting. And you can. That's one thing technology has granted us. It has granted us the ability to really put in our passions into what we love. We don't have to always go and sit at a nine-to-five job at an office anymore. We can leverage our data capacity and work for a startup or work for a company that solely is online and master that area. There is an art in the mastery in specialized information. When you can become that person that people can turn to, that they know that you're the Excel expert, they know that you know how to figure out how to program in any language, or if you don't, you Google it. There it is. Or you know resources to figure out how to do it. You are that visual digital representation. You are the tinkerer. I can think of immediately in my brain, as you probably can too right now, of people that you could call if you had questions about X, Y, or Z in one of these areas. That is specialized knowledge. And how do you do that? That's part of what we're going to be doing over this, the course of this time on the show, is where do you go to begin to specialize in this particular area of expertise? 
And there's so many different places that you can go. And you don't necessarily have to go and sit at a four-year college to do this or even in a trade school. I mean, those things are magnificent. And of course, we... If that's your path, that's your path, and that's amazing. But you can find some just-in-time learning opportunities to begin to tip your toe in to one of these areas, and that will help begin to give confidence and figure out where it is that you do truly sit. I will say that over the years for me, it has been a change. I began my programming career in looking at software application, by using Visual Basic, by using Python for software application, for doing a bit with HTML and CSS, which is the language of the web. But I found that that really wasn't, I can teach all of those things, I can do all of those things. But my passion really became, came clear when I began to collect information, data, to analyze it. And I was like, oh, man, I found myself spending much more time on this than I had really ever thought that I would because it was so interesting. It was just intriguing to see what the numbers ended up showing. So I encourage you to start thinking about where do you fit to find your tech genius? You are technologically savvy. You are. Everybody is. But it may not be that you are going to be the number one programmer or the number one digital design. But you can find where you fit. I learned something new every day. I learned on my timer just the other day on my iPhone that I could use the lap to be able to better track when I was timing information for data collection. I learned that there's a new app out there. I learned a new way to more efficiently use my coding practices when I'm running data analytics. I have learned more how to use visual dashboard tools for data because for many years that wasn't a part of what we did in data. But now we have great things like Tableau and Power BI and Click and a variety of other different um, dashboards that we can, Salesforce, that we can display information. That is really cool. So bite in with me as we go through coding the future, finding your skill set, take some action. The action item of today is of the four buckets, programming, digital, data, infrastructure, where do you fit? Jot down a few ideas and start mulling that over in your brain. Let's plant the seed. It may not be that you have the answer right now. I'm asking you to plant the seed. That's your action item for today. Think about where do you fit? How do you fit? And what are we going to do to get you to that other end so that you become the technologist that you know you can be? And don't say, I'm not tech savvy, because you are. This is a new level of tech savvy, and we are going to do this together. I cannot wait to go on this journey with you. Welcome to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. I'm thrilled to be here with you. Next week, we'll start diving into our professional guest experts, and it's going to be fantastic. So I will look forward to seeing you on our next show. Have a great week, and remember the action item. Pick one of the buckets, 
programming, digital, data, or infrastructure and start thinking, where might I fit? Thank you, and I'll see you on the next show. Thank you so much for listening to Coding the Future. Please join your host, Dr. Sharon Jones, for another edition next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk then.